forever. Dog. Just between us. Hey. Just between us. Hey. Hello. I'm Allison Raskin. I'm a writer, mental health advocate, and lately I've felt like I need to throw up every day. <laughs> Hi, I'm Gabby Dunn. I'm a writer, bicon, bisexual icon, wink, and just generally confused. <laughs> Why do you have to throw up? Thanks for asking. Um, I think that <laughs> I think that having been on pain medication for weeks, ooh, and even ooh. though for weeks it's only been Advil and Tylenol, I think it's really activated my acid reflux in a big way. Oh, man. And so the last few days, I've thrown up a couple times. I've thought I was going to throw up many more times. I'm I'm burping up a storm. It's It's been pretty cool. <laughs> wow. I don't get any um, fillers or Botox because uh, you've been on blood thinners for so long. You'll bruise. Oh, yeah. That's my hot <laughs> yeah. This is my third day no pain med. And so... How is your knee feeling? We're on a knee update. 2022. <laughs> I think it must be getting better, but I feel like it's the same, if that makes sense. Because you're like, time is passing. <laughs> the body is healing. Yeah. I think that I've hit a lot of dramatic milestones and that like I'm walking without crutches. I'm sleeping without my brace. And then like since then, it's sort of been like, okay, da 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 da. And next week, I'm supposed right. to be, in theory, next week, I, I go to my post-op and I'm supposed to to be able to stop wearing the brace. But I got to tell you, my PT is not that optimistic. <laughs> oh, no. Do you have a scar? Oh, big, big scars. Really? Yeah. On the knee? I have two big scars. Whoa. So they definitely, and they're real. And like, that's the thing is like the scar, like more towards the, you know, the side that touches the other leg, that's still really tender and sore. And so when I sleep mm -hmm. on my side, it, it hurts a lot. If you ever go missing, they'll be able to identify you. I think so, yeah. I also have three <laughs> tattoos, but yes. <laughs> I'm in a dark space, okay? Oh, my God. Well, this is Just Between Us, a variety show filled with heartfelt advice. Ridiculous games. And brutal honesty. My neighbor, my elderly neighbor, Dita, uh -huh. told me that she loves Patrick Swayze. So I showed her I have a Patrick Swayze tattoo. And she was not impressed because she said... You're not, so you shouldn't get tattoos because the government can track you. And I was like, you know what, Dita, you're right. This wouldn't be a JBU episode without a quote from Dita. <laughs> Honestly, and I don't even see her as much as Mal does. Mal goes like every day. But we did watch Downton Abbey last night. Aww. I will say it's unclear if she likes me. <laughs> really? Yeah, I don't know that she does. Why? But I think you're just depressed, so you don't think anyone likes you. No, 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 no. She definitely likes Mal. And then I'm, I'm always kind of, it's on the fence, always. <laughs> this week on the show, we're going to be asking Cameron Esposito some tough questions about their memoir, Save Yourself, among a bunch of other really interesting topics that we got into. It was very philosophical. It really was. Mm -hmm. And later, we're going to be talking all about comfort food, because I think we talk about food a lot negatively, and I want to talk about it positively. I love that. <laughs> but first, we have got to answer a listener's question. And you know what that means. Hit it! International question! International question! International question! 
Anonymous, New York. Ooh, very mysterious. Anonymous says, I can't stop thinking about my ex, but not in the way you might think. Apologies in advance as this gets a bit intense. My ex and I spent nearly three years together in college and have been broken up for almost as much time. The relationship was toxic to agree I'm embarrassed to even acknowledge. I have a slew of mental health issues that were at times used against me or thrown in my face, including anxiety, OCD, depression, and ADHD. I was manipulated, Mm. gaslit, and mentally abused at every turn, and yet somehow believed that each resulting event was completely my fault. I was made to think I needed this person to survive because it was also my first relationship, and through it, it also made me come out as bisexual. My parents, though now understanding and supportive, were not initially. Any criticism they made about my partner later on was twisted in my mind by my partner as an attack on our queer relationship. I was separated from so much and turned into a person I did not recognize. She was very involved in drinking and drug use and was in multiple accidents when I was put in sole charge of medical decisions and contacting her parents at the ripe age of 18. Needless to say, this has left me with a paralyzing fear of putting my trust in anyone else again. I have had a few other partners, none of which long-term, and all of them with patterns that reflect my initial partner. I have been single for over a year and am now 23, with a stable job, amazing family and friends, a perfect dog, and thousands of miles away from people from my past. But I can't stop thinking about this person, feeling responsible for their livelihood, wanting to know what they are doing and if they are okay. How can I move on and rid myself of these overwhelming thoughts? I don't want to bring this baggage anywhere near a new potential partner and truthfully am terrified of what dating would even look like now. I would love to hear your thoughts and have valued your YouTube channel and now podcast for years. Thank you for taking the time to read my messy story. I don't think your story is as messy or embarrassing as you think. I think it's probably something a lot of people can relate to. So don't feel bad about that. And thanks for writing in because I do feel like it is a very relatable thing that a lot of people might feel alone about. So thank you for for being vulnerable and writing in. Yeah, it is. It is weird when when somebody haunts you, right? And that you like mm-hmm. can't seem to let them go. Honestly, a thing and I've said this before, a thing that helps me is to remember that like I don't even know that person anymore. <laughs> right. Like especially right. in your early 20s, you're changing so much. They're changing so much. Like if you like met them on the street, you might not even recognize them. (laughs) Like, you know, you might not recognize them. You might not. You might be like, oh, your favorite movie. No, that's changed. Like, oh, the way that you handle stress. Oh, no, that's changed. Mm -hmm. You know, like completely different. That's honestly helped me, you know, not get as hung up on my ex-fiance because I'm like, oh, well, if I ran into him by accident, it would be a stranger. (laughs) Like, right. I don't know him anymore. He doesn't know me anymore. Like, Mm-hmm. Like, yes, we have a shared past, but like our current selves are are probably completely different in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. I think it's also like it's really hard, right, when you ruminate, like how do you stop yourself from ruminating? But mm-hmm. one of the things that I loved that my my old therapist told me when I was going through my heartbreak was like that it was really important for me to make memories with somebody else. Yeah. And so I think that like, even though dating feels really difficult and scary, like just the more memories that you have of other people to fill up Mm -hmm. that space in your mind, that might be really helpful. And it might just like 
gradually over time realize that you're you're not thinking about them as much. But the other big thing to think about that I've been learning a lot about in school and and just taking into my own life is we assign a lot of meaning to our thoughts that we don't have to. Yeah, like it could just be a passing thing. Right. Like I, I, I get I totally get why it's worrisome that you're still thinking about this person all the time. But I think that maybe you're making it more worrisome by attaching meaning to the fact that you think about them. Yeah. I had a day where I found a playlist from an ex-boyfriend and I was like, oh, this is a really good playlist. And I was listening to it and I was like, had a day where I was like thinking about him and being like, I wonder, you know, what he's up to or whatever. But I, if I had been like, oh, my God, like I'm thinking about this person like that's you know, that's bad. And like, I do. Does this mean I have to contact them? Does this mean that like I, you know, all these things? And it's like, no, I was like, you know what? I had a little nostalgia for like what our relationship used to be. And like, what a good playlist, you know? (laughs) And then just like, I did look up our old emails. And, and to be honest, looking back on it was helpful, because I was like, Oh my God. Like these are the emails of someone who is obsessed with one, the other, like I would write so much to him and he would legitimately write back K. (laughs) Like, do you know what I mean? So like looking back on it objectively, like without that being so forefront, I was like, Oh my God, like this was bad. So like, I think just, I think sometimes facing the reality of it and being like, this was not as great or as like epic as you thought it was. Like, I was like, this was such an epic relationship. But like, no, it really wasn't. Like, I don't think that dude liked me at all. And like, I think you just like moving on and not assigning so much depth to it or or not being like, this was so, you know, important. Like, now I was just like, that was a fun playlist. And also like, what a silly year of my life that was. And it didn't make me go oh my God, I need to, you know, I need to spend time like hating myself and I need to like, you know, worry about why am I thinking about this person? Like, does that mean anything? It's like, no, it doesn't. Sometimes you think about the past. And you get in habits, right? And so you're in a habit of probably thinking about this person. Mm -hmm. And so I think that not indulging the thoughts, you know, like noticing, okay, I've thought about them, but not like, like I said before, trying to dig into what does this mean? Does this mean I should mm-hmm. contact them? Does this mean they are still my responsibility? Yeah. And just really taking away this idea that their well-being is anything you need to worry about. I know. Or if you're going to like get something from them. Like I, one ex who was, I think, left a big dent in that I don't feel like I can trust compliments. And that's, and I'm not going to get anything from that person apologizing. I'm not going to get anything from that person. You know, I I just, I just realized that it's going to come from me. Like, I'm not going to get anything from that person saying, yeah, what I did was bad. I just have to like figure out on my own how to not let that affect relationships. And like someone that I was seeing was very, didn't know about this history, obviously, and was very complimentary. And I, I mean, I just was like, you're full of shit. Like, I could not believe any compliment. I kept being like, this is love bombing. This is a lie. This is whatever. And you and I have said this on this show before that if someone comes in super hot, both of us, I think are like, 
what's wrong with you? <laughs> like, why, why are you being so over the top? Like, you know, so I, it's hard because it makes, this person wanted me to feel special. And all it did was make me remember this ex and be like, I think you're lying, but that's not fair to this other person. But I don't think you should discredit like a learning experience. Like, I feel like I did learn to protect myself a little bit and not get carried away. Even if it's like maybe keeping me from the fun part of getting carried away. <laughs> I also wonder if if maybe what is happening is that you like caring for other people, right? Because it seemed like a lot of that relationship in an unhealthy way was you being there for them, taking care of them, all this stuff. Yes. And so maybe mm-hmm. what you're kind of reacting to is like kind of missing the intimacy that comes with caring from someone that you love. I mean, obviously you you want to care for somebody in a in a healthy relationship and not with toxicity. But I think that maybe you might be like a natural caregiver in some way. And and so you're you're thinking of them because they're filling this hole in your life of of like the closeness of somebody that you can care for, that you can be a support system to, that you can check in on. And obviously you mm-hmm. have your friends and your family, but there is sometimes a difference with that with a with a partner. And so Honestly, I, I wouldn't necessarily see the fact that you keep thinking about this person as reason not to date other people. Mm-hmm. Anything, it, it's reason that I think maybe you should start dating. You know, yeah. pay more attention to red flags, be aware of of similarities that don't sit right with you, mm-hmm. go slowly, establish mm-hmm. better dynamics. But I think really that the best medicine here might be like I said, just some new experiences with some new people. Yeah. And I think you're, you're thinking about them and you're making it about, you're like, oh, it must be about this person, but maybe it's just you processing and learning, you know, maybe it's just you processing the relationship and learning what you need to do moving forward. Maybe write down, maybe just when you're thinking about it, write down what is it, what it is that is sticking out to you about it. What, what bumps for you? What is making you like, you know, think about this person and, and are those, you know, how can you turn that into like a positive learning experience that helps you in your next relationship? And I have no idea how your OCD manifests, but I was Mm. obsessed with someone for years as Gabby can attest to. And it was only kind of recently, I was like, I wonder if there was like an an OCD element to the amount that I thought about this person. Yes. I think you're absolutely right. And so maybe allowing yourself the possibility that this is might be more of your OCD than your actual feelings or concerns about this person. Hyperfixation. Yeah. It might release you from feeling like it means something even more. Totally. Because <laughs> I just got in the habit. I thought about this person all the time and mm-hmm. I was obsessed with them. And it was like, and, and I felt like this moral failing that I was so obsessed with them and thinking about them all the time and wanting to contact mm-hmm. them all the time for years of my 20s, only to now be like, oh, maybe that, maybe my OCD was a bit at play with that. <laughs> yeah, totally. That person becomes a hyperfixation. Mm-hmm. Yes, definitely. So sorry, Dan, I guess it wasn't real love. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> If you want to submit your international question, you can send it to justbetweenuspod at gmail.com. That's justbetweenuspod at gmail.com. Up next, we've got an exciting interview with our highly esteemed guest, Cameron Esposito. Stay tuned. 
Just between us, it's time for the juiciest, most scandalous, controversial segment known to all of podcasting, Tough Questions. This week, our guest is Cameron Esposito, a stand-up comic, actor, writer, and host of the podcast Query. The paperback version of their memoir, Save Yourself, is out now. Hello, Cameron. Wow, thank you for that, like... (laughs) intro because you know what I liked about it what is that you didn't really breathe during it like you got (laughs) you were like I'm gonna land this this was a short one I try to do the long ones very like in one go I don't know why you do that Gabby you always really put that pressure on yourself to be so quick is it like a lungs thing are you are you trying to (laughs) are you constantly training your lungs Because I am. No, I'm (laughs) loud in general. I don't need to train my lungs. I think I just, I think I just feel like because Allison does this grand intro that I have to live up to. Like I have to enter with the same energy. You know what I mean? Well, you two have been dealing with that for a long time. (laughs) It's sort of like, you know. um, Matching each other's energy. Yeah, exactly. It's like a will they, won't they, but of fighting to the death. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, basically. Yeah. Great to see that nothing has changed. Yep. (laughs) So we, I mean, there's so many different things to talk to you about, but I think we really want to kind of dive into a lot of what your memoir covers, which is sort of you coming out after being brought up pretty religious. And so what inspired you to to dive into that in your memoir? Well, somebody asked me if I would write a book. So I said, (laughs) sure. This is, you know what happened? Remember BuzzFeed? (laughs) Remember it. It gave us our careers. Y'all ever uh, heard of BuzzFeed? (laughs) No, I try to forget. Someone asked me, we were watching The Dropout, which is about the Elizabeth Holmes situation. And Mm -hmm. Mal was like, do you think Elizabeth Holmes is watching this? And I was like, no, I don't think so. And then Mal was like, wouldn't you? And I was like, it depends on what period of my life. If someone made like um, an eight part series about my life at BuzzFeed, I probably wouldn't watch it because I was there and it wasn't a good time. Well, wow. I, I had a neighbor who is still, who does this thing called the Try Guys, and they're still doing the Try Guys. Who is your neighbor? Keith. He's the nicest man in the world. He was my neighbor and stopped me on the street because I was doing stand-up and was like, I'm part of a newfangled thing called, you know, BuzzFeed or whatever. And so I went to, I made a bunch of videos with them. He was like, do you ever want to do a video? It's like, remember, this is just a few yeah, years ago. Yeah, you did ago. the like ask a lesbian videos, right? Yes. I was like, here's an idea. People set up a, an email account where people can write questions to a lesbian. And he was like, we'll see if we get any. Anyway, it thou- like tens of thousands of questions <laughs> files <laughs> like, streamed in. And the videos were very successful. BuzzFeed was like not really making content like that yet. They were very successful. They got like millions of views in. So from that, somebody was like, would you like to take your tips on queerness and turn them into a book? And I was like, no, but I will write a book about my great trauma. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah, because, well, that's what we're saying. So why, why were you like, yes, let's do the trauma? That's a great question. I think it's just like where I was in my life at the time. You know, I, because this is the paperback version and then there was a hardcover and before that you're writing it. So like this deal happened in honestly, 2015 that I got this this book deal. And then it took me a bunch of years to write the book because I was making a TV show and I was touring a lot as a stand-up and putting out stand-up specials. And when I had a time to write this book, I think it's just like the first time it really occurred to me, like everything that happened to me. Yeah. Like I, lo- I loved 
Jesus Christ when I was a young person because I thought he was a cool, a cool radical socialist who was uh, here to fuck shit up. And so I thought that was the best. And then I was a theology major in college. And that is where I fell in love with a woman and was like, oh, actually, everything I thought about myself is is different. And also everything I thought about the church is different. I still think I was interested in it for the same reason that I'm interested in anything, which is like social change. And what are we all doing here? Like those are the, Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's the intersection of those two things. But during that time, when I was coming out, the person that took it the worst was me. Like I was devastated um, because I thought I was going to a real hell, an actual place with fire. Oh, and it was bad. I think the experience of thinking I was wrong and disgusting and like built in a ruined way, I sort of went right from that into working professionally in comedy. Like I graduated from school and the next day I got my first job working professionally in comedy. And I just, I don't think I had ever processed any of that despite being in like therapy for years and having, you know, stand up and friends and all this stuff. I think I actually like it was writing it as a full story that kind of helped me get to the other side for the first time. Was your family, what flavor of religious was it? Catholic. Was it like specifically say, were they saying like gay is bad at your church and like in your family? Well, how I grew up in my in all of my schooling, including college, and in my family, in my community, queer, gay, n- none of that was a real thing. Mm-hmm. It was a choice that you could make that was sinful. You could like make a sinful choice the same way that people could make a sinful choice to divorce or make a sinful choice to have premarital sex. So it wasn't like a thing you were and literally zero awareness. So when I was first, you know, in love with with a woman and then sleeping with a woman. And then I think that's why it was so hard is because it wasn't like, I don't even know that it was about coming out so much as like, why can't I stop doing these terrible sins that are so like cute? All this cute sinning. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. When did it start to occur to you that maybe what you had been told was not true? When I graduated from college, I met my second girlfriend who had gone to Mount Holyoke, which is like, cis men are not allowed there. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. she had this huge circle of queer friends. I had met in my life up until that point, one other queer person who that was my girlfriend. Like I was in college, there were 4,000 people in my graduating class. And, you know, 12,000 undergrads. And I didn't really know anybody else who was out and queer. So I met this person and it was like, it just was my first experience of, I think, sort of the life that like, you know, feels really normative to me now. Or like when like Gabby and I might run into each other at any event like that, these people were already living that life. They had like a full crew. Yeah, isn't that, that was the craziest thing to find out was to be like, oh, people are just like friends and like this whole under, in my head, it was like a secret world separate from the real world. I was like, what is going on here? Yeah, I mean, my, that, that girlfriend, her friends were dating each other. Right, crazy. Like there were, you know, I was like, what? (laughs) 
one of us and then another one of us. There's two. And so anyway, I think that was a mess. And also this this girlfriend, and I've even told this to Eileen Shaken, so don't worry, I'm forgiven. But this girlfriend would steal the would steal episodes of the L word off of like the early internet where you could like steal them from <laughs> like, were, like you're like downloading them from illegal sites because yeah. nobody had showtime. So we would watch that and we watched Queer as Folk and I just felt like, wait a minute. And then, and then I had a boss and we weren't supposed to be dating other coworkers, but my first, my second girlfriend was a coworker and we had to tell our boss and it was like, oh my God, like, I'm just like, we're gay, we're gay. And then we're our, so our sorry. boss was like, I'm actually also gay and would like to just be friends with you. So then we were just <laughs> friends with that boss, you know, like, and it just was, it felt like you're saying, Gabby, it just felt like through the looking glass where I was like, what? Like you could come out to somebody and they could come out back to you. What are you talking about? Like that's, that's nothing. Like, it's, you know, yeah, it was huge, huge change. And then when did you talk to your family about that? Well, um, there had been an ongoing conversation with my parents who were as worried about me as I was and were- That you were going to hell. Yeah. And were behaving like pretty insanely. I mean, it just was like, there was no sanity. There was no sanity in the way I was behaving and there was no sanity in how they were behaving either. They also didn't know any queer people. So it was just like, it was insanity. And, you know, I have two siblings and for a long time, they asked me not to tell my little sister and it was like harrowing. I mean, it was like rumors got to her grade school and then nobody asked her to the dance. You know, like it was like, what is up with this? Okay. It was a full story. Gary. <laughs> yeah. No, I've heard this multiple times from people who have come out saying that their parents were concerned that them being gay would affect their siblings social status. And it did affect her. And like, that's fucked. <laughs> yeah. You know, and then, you know, the thing that that is true is that like, somehow now it's, you know, it's 20, that was 20 years ago that that was all happening. Mm-hmm. And now it's 20 years later. And I'm like, literally like famously gay, like not, not just <laughs> a little gay, like pretty. And my parents are, you know, I, I often think when we ask that question, it's like, I, I just get, I've gotten that question so many times in interviews and you didn't quite phrase it, phrase it this way, Gabby, but it's like that question of like, how did your parents take it? And I think, I think sometimes it can be so scary for younger queer folks because we put mm-hmm. the emphasis on the immediate way that something's received. Mm-hmm. And then I think for other people, then that's really scary too. Cause it's like, well, I have to receive this news perfectly. I think it's sort of like, telling people that they have to have the perfect response to a surprise party where it's like, I don't know, some Mm -hmm. people might cry. Some people might scream. Some people might laugh. Some people might leave. Like there's a lot of different ways you can respond. So my parents were genuinely surprised and I was genuinely surprised. And, and then now it's, it's just like, how is it with my family? My my, my family is, this is just who I am. It's like none, it's their, my parents watch me make out on TV with my shirt off and then they tell their friends about it. They're like, you, you gotta see cameras on the TV. You know, they gave me a briefcase for my 30th birthday, which is like just the greatest present. Thinking of my mom going to like the Nordstrom men's section and being like, <laughs> I need a briefcase for my child. You know, they're like very respectful of gender stuff. 
And it's not because they like got it right all at once or because they always even get it right. But like they're trying so hard and life is long. My mom somehow Mm -hmm. figured out how to get an ally flag that she hangs (laughs) in the front window of their house in suburban Chicago. Yeah. I didn't even know there was an ally flag. (laughs) No, me neither. How'd she find it? (laughs) (laughs) Are they still pretty religious? Has it has has it affected their relationship with religion at all? They left the church for me. Wow. And, you know, I think that's pretty awesome, actually, because really it's for them. Like they didn't want to be at a place that wouldn't have their child as a member and um, in their full self. And so but I will say this is sad for all of us. You know, sometimes I have still had a lot of curiosity in that area. And so have they. You know, it's like a cultural thing that we all grew up with. And it's not like a, I don't think it's one of those ones where there's like a finish line mm-hmm. where you make a bunch of choices and then feel good about them forever and never miss the things that you left behind. Would they join a different church or? You know, I don't know for them. I'll say for me, I think it's like finding out that something could be that broken mm-hmm. doesn't necessarily leave me rushing to rejoin another organization yeah and yet like i'm a spiritual person and i'm curious and so i feel like i'm on like a journey to find out what does work for me I, yeah i kind of think that's where they are too i mean i've been to like gay synagogue mal and i went to gay synagogue which is just a uh, regular synagogue but everyone there is gay yeah i mean i've certainly tried you know in the time of the pandemic that everybody was baking bread i was enrolled in um master's level theology courses at eight different theology schools because something is really wrong with me and I'm always <laughs> doing 300% more than I need to be doing. But it's because I was curious if I would perhaps get my master's in divinity, which is what you get if you're going to be a priest. And I took a bunch of classes and thought about it real hard and reconnected with my advisor from college, you know, and I still don't have an answer. I'm just like, no. Oh, I'm like taking in knowledge and curious about community. Mm -hmm. I don't know. To me, that actually feels like a pretty great place to be. Yeah, to not be married to a church, but to just be curious about theology. It's tough for me, too. I mean, I grew up very Jewish and, you know, it is cultural and there is a lot of stuff that like recently I've been like, you know, depressed. And I've been like, why didn't I just like get married to another Jew and right out of college and then just not been gay and <laughs> just like been dedicated to the synagogue and had my children and and maybe then I would just be happy. Like that still gets in my head even now at, at, as I've been out for, you know, over a decade. So it's like hard because you still view that place as um, a place of comfort, even though, you know, they wouldn't have you. Well, I think that's what I'm trying to say is that I'm trying to take in general in my life finish lines off the table a little bit. Like I don't need to be one thing so fully the way that I did in the past, but that might change and I can be curious and, um, you know, running towards something and running away from something are the same thing. And the opposite of that is just sitting with reality as it is. And that's what I'm trying to do right now. (laughs) These are the thoughts of a stand-up comic. You know what I mean? Funny, (laughs) funny, light jokes. (laughs) Yeah, it's very, yeah, it's it's super light here. Yeah. Surface level. Yeah. 
So I feel a lot of topical humor. <laughs> Did you have any sort of like breakthroughs by taking these classes? Like anything that really stuck with you or changed your perspective? Yeah, actually, yes. I love that question. It, I was at a place in my life when I when the pandemic started, I was supposed to go on a book tour for the hardcover version of Save Yourself. Then I was supposed to go to the Edinburgh Fringe Festival and do an off-Broadway run of a show that I was doing at the time about divorce. And so it was like, I was sad. <laughs> I was having a sad right. time. Also, I was going to be on tour for like eight or 10 months straight with some visits home. And instead, all of that was canceled. So I just had this like completely like open, looking at my calendar, it was just like white. <laughs> like, like <it> was, yeah. <laughs> you know, and I know a lot of people had to pivot and like continue to work. And there was all, you know, I know that stress happened for so many people. For me, it was this like completely strange stress of like, and then a couple months later, some work stuff started to come back in through like, oh, now we're all doing it virtually or whatever. But there was like a few yeah. months where I was making money doing like stand up on Zoom. And then I just like had all this time and I got very curious about forgiveness because as somebody with an overdeveloped sense of humor as a coping mechanism for pain, I think I had spent a lot of time like laughing about things, but not really getting over them. And this is what like started this whole part of life where I like took all these classes is that I was looking up this old thesis advisor of mine from college who I had loved. And he was the head of the theology department. We were close friends. We went to Rome together, but I hadn't spoken to him in 20 years. And he was teaching a class at the college that like harmed me, you know, as a queer person. And the class was on the topic of forgiveness it was literally called forgiveness. And I was like, you're kidding. And so I wrote him an email and was like, Hey, I don't know if you remember me, but like, I'd love to take this class. Like, can I, can I take this class? And he was like, of course I remember you. I was like, literally just listening to you on NPR. <laughs> I'm like, I like followed your career. Seems like you're doing great. Yeah, totally. Come take the class. And so that was the quest. It was like, how do I not be, stay obsessed with pain? Cause even joking about pain, it's like, that's not really like letting it be painful. You know, I just think I had like a lot of pain and anger, like stuck in me. So what I was working on was like, how do I operate in a different way than that? And I think that it really is in terms of what I've learned. It's that thing I was just saying where it's like, if pain motivates, like changing yourself, changing your life, like getting but you know, it's literally like the idea of like a revenge bod or like, right. you know, or like, I'll show them like, this is me with my whole career to like my childhood self. Like, you think I look weird with my glasses, braces, bowl cut and eye patch? Well, I'll show you. And it's like, it just, I think for me, it had become like, I, I just wasn't making choices based on what I wanted, but choices based on fucking over all the people who hurt me. Mm -hmm. And I'm not sure that's a life worth living. <laughs> oh, God. What do y'all think? I'm just coming off of that, too. I feel like I'm a I'm a recovering whatever that is. <laughs> yeah. Sad boy. Sad boy. I'm not out of the woods of sad boy, I will say. But yeah, I think a lot of a lot of it is like, I'll show you. But I'm coming to a place where I'm like, who is the you here? Exactly. Like, mm. who am I? Who is this directed at? They're exactly. not even thinking about me. They're they're doing something else. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, so I was like, so jealous of other people. And then I was telling my manager and he was like, well, people are jealous of you. And I was like, who are they? 
tell me their names. <laughs> like, I feel jealous of you all the time. Me? Yeah. That's crazy. I get the most upset, and I hate this about myself, but I, I feel the most jealous towards you of anybody because I feel like we, you know, you've had some really cool opportunities and some great projects. And I, and I feel like maybe because other people I don't know as well, it's sort of like we were started at the same place to have our paths diverge feels more painful in a way than like when it's somebody who I don't even know where they started or what they, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. It's this part of myself that I hate. I hate that I feel that way. That's so crazy. I feel like it's either the people that are like stra- have hit the stratosphere that I'm like annoyed by, although not really the people you would think. And then also my friends from home who just stayed in Florida and got married and have three kids. I'm like, have romanticized their lives for some reason where they're just they go their kids go to the same religious school that we went to and they go to the same synagogue that we went to and they just like stuck with it. And in my head, I'm like jealous of that. I'm like, I feel the same way like Cameron, where you were like, why can't I just make better choices? Right. I'm like, why did I do this? But it's like I didn't do this. (laughs) That's like, you know, it's like hard when you have religion or when you're operating out of spite that you think, oh, I made these choices or whatever. It's interesting because some of it was not a choice. Yeah. I mean, that compare and despair stuff is uh, really powerful. And it's definitely, I feel like for me, it's like something that I had to work on by like replacing that with enjoying my own life. Mm -hmm. Right. Being present, like you said. Also like adding stuff. Like, I feel like it's like a heart. I can't just like sit in a room and change my feelings about that. But um, I have like a ton of hobbies and hang out with a lot of friends. And, you know, I feel like it's, that's a, that's a canary in the coal mine for me of like, go do something that you enjoy. Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is one way to not yeah. spend energy uh, for me anyway. You know, you said something interesting about being famously gay. And I think about this a lot in terms of coming out and or, you know, being gay and then having some sort of, you know, but not positive reaction or whatever is like, I feel like sometimes I'm like, okay, well, then I will be the best gay. Mm. Like I will be like the famous one and I will be the best one. And I will, you know, like it's this I don't know if that is relatable to you at all, where you're like, not only will I be gay, but I will be the best, most famous gay. I think for me, it was actually like a harm reduction thing. Like, I think I got so it was like so hard to come out to people individually. And then like again and again as a young person or I just there was a different time in my life where intimacy was like really, really difficult for me. That's one thing. And then the other thing is like, you know, people have always been pretty curious about what's going on for me, like gender wise. I've gotten like a lot of attention in my life where I didn't necessarily want there to be attention. Like I just mean overly noticed for being too something that people don't mm-hmm. like. And I think I think I sort of created this like lightning rod person that would sort of it's like not me, but it's like an avatar that I sometimes play as where that person can sort of come out to the most number of people. Yeah, it's a self, it's a protection thing where it's like, I can't deal with you responding to me like this in a one-to-one way. So I'm going to just like 
you know, do stand up or, or whatever it is and sort of depersonalize it. That did get me pretty, I mean, to be honest, like saved my life and got me pretty far in terms of being able to cope with some of that stuff. I think it, then it just had like an expiration date because it's like, yeah, am I going to spend my entire life again, focused on that? But yeah, Mm -hmm. I think that, I think that's, I think that was it. It's like, you don't even have to ask me, just refer to my Wikipedia page. You'll have, then you'll know whether or not I'm queer person. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) I mean, I wonder for you, like, I feel like from the beginning of your career, you've sort of been, been out in terms of your sexuality, but what you're saying about people talking about your, your gender journey, what has that been like? And has it felt strange to be doing that in the public eye? Yeah, that's a great question. Well, like, so even when I was a little kid, you know, I mean, this is like the classic tale for describing what it has been like. But like, even when I was a little kid, it's like my sister and I were at the pool together, my older sister. She has a pink bikini on. I have a pink bikini on. She has long hair. I have long hair. We go to the snack bar. The person at the snack bar is like, what would you like, ma'am, to my little sister or to my older sister? And then like turns to me and is like, and for you, sir? And I'm just like, I don't know. (laughs) What are you seeing? Yeah. What what are you seeing? But it has always been a part of my life that like gender stuff has always been going on. When I first came out, I think since we weren't talking about sexuality and gender in the like zeitgeist as being separate from one another, I think I just kind of felt like one ring to rule them all. Like there was nothing, there was no second thing to come out as because it was like, I have always been a queer person that is visibly queer, like from when mm-hmm. I was a kid. And then also as I was in my 20s, you know, like I just mean, I've I've just been visibly queer the whole time. And then I think it's only been the last couple of years that I've realized that like, oh, what does that even mean? It's like, it just means there's like a couple things going on. Like some people are gay and they're gender conforming. And some people mm-hmm. are straight and they're gender nonconforming. And I am a multiple things kind of a person. Mm-hmm. And I think I haven't known what to say about that because as I've watched other people, especially younger people, sort of like have perfect language for this, you know, it's just like, I feel like catching up a little bit because I thought I said all of this multiple decades ago, but I guess mm-hmm. not. Cause I didn't mm-hmm. know the full thing. So yeah, that's, I think that's, what's been going on is just like, I mean, people tell me it's not like a journey I'm having that is like <laughs> private in my house and nobody's part of it. Like there is a response that people have. Like I'm like on a, I can't remember. Did I just say this? I'm losing it, but I'm like on an ABC drama right now. I'm like on network television doing makeouts. Yeah, wild. And that means that when I'm on like a cool comedy thing, there's like a little bit of a self-selecting audience about my about who might be there, which doesn't mean that they're not homophobic or like weird about gender non-conforming people because they definitely still are. <laughs> but on network television, it's not even like a rudeness. It's like people being like, what is this? <laughs> like it's... It's like a complete and abject confusion that I also know people feel when they see me in the grocery store or on an airplane. Like it's like a different type of a thing than, you know, a dickhead saying something who does know what's going on. I also get that too. But that's what's happening right now is like somebody being like, I don't understand. Like this is happening in 2020. Mm -hmm. Somebody being like, 
wait a minute, if Catherine, Catherine's the character that I'm, that I'm playing opposite, if Catherine was going to date a woman, why cast a little man? Yes. <laughs> and oh, I'm like, yeah. I'm, I'm like rubbing my temples being like, yeah, no, I get it. Like, that's, I guess that's, I guess you're still really surprised to see me. Yeah. That's the thing is like, it's like, oh, but this character is, I mean, I used to get that all the time. If you're, if you're gay, why are you dating women who look like men? And I was like, because I have the cheat code, bitch. Like, what do you mean? <laughs> because I figured it out. Like, I don't know. Like it's, it, it makes sense because you're getting beamed into the homes of people who might not know any queer people. Yes. And that's wild. Yes. I also feel like it's like some of it is like stuff that is like so that feels like gender related to me, but is also like, like, why is my face like this? Like, I just mean it's like so angular and sharp. Because you're blessed because you're blessed. Truly. Th I mean, number one, thank you. But what I mean is <laughs> like thinking about just even how the other people look on the show that I'm on. It's like, this is not what the AFAB people's like cheekbone structure looks like. So I understand why people are surprised. Like they're like, why is, why is Kevin Bacon have such giant breasts? <laughs> and, you know, it's... Uh, I know, but nobody's like, nobody's happy. Like I, during this conversation was noticing your jaw and feeling like, well, fuck me. Like, you know, <laughs> like I no, it's true. Like nobody I has what know. they, my friend Drew, my friend Drew is a trans woman and like, she's so thin. And this is like my own toxic Jewish mother who's in my mind all the time. But I'm like, oh my God, like Drew looks like a model. And Drew's like, I wish I had a, the butt that you have. And I was like, take it. I don't want it. Like, you know, it's, it's, I wish that all the gender nonconforming people could just switch like Mr. Potato Head. I will say this though. I kind of like me. I think I'm just really tired of being so surprising to everybody. Yeah, totally. That makes sense. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I've done a lot of work on myself. I don't like myself every minute of the day. I don't like every part of me. What, who does? Like, who literally who yeah. does? Not like Kim Kardashian or like anybody Nobody. else who's had that much of, who spent that much time altering themselves. Like, they still don't. Nobody does. Because we're like people. Also, we are ever marching toward death. So where, wherever <laughs> things are today is not going to be there tomorrow the same way. So it's like... Right. It's just, we're not Han Solo encased in carbonite. Like shit is moving. And I don't know. I'm hoping, what I'm hoping is that I can get to a place where I don't need to be different. And so it is a little bit like, oh, please stop needing me to be different other people. Cause like, yeah, could you just give me a chance to like myself? Yeah, it's being, it's a different audience, right? It's you're, you got used to being surprising in this one way. And now you're in front of people who you're like, once again, back at 101, where it's like, what? And you're like, no, like I live, I have friends where we all look like this. But to you, this is the first time you're seeing this. Yeah, but I mean, even in queer community, I find that like, you know, there was like this thing that happened a couple months ago where I like, just posted on dumb old, ye old, dumb old town crier Instagram. I just posted a picture where I had a like a lower cut shirt on so you could see that I had cleavage. 
And many people had a lot to say about like that being like really feminine in a way that felt like, I don't know. I just was like, get out of here with your like, <laughs> like what, what do I have to, I have to always like button my top button, like all the way mm -hmm. up and like hunch my shoulders to like be seen by you. I don't know. I just feel like it's, I feel sometimes I feel a little for the second Star Wars reference, a little like Leia in a trash compactor where it's like coming at me from all sides and I just want to be myself where I am. Yeah, they definitely want definitive answers. They want, especially like I'm also kind of, I'm also on a gender journey and they, there's a lot of like, well, great. So now that you're they, them and you've cut your hair, no more dresses, right? And I'm like, oh, but then if I wear a dress somewhere, they're like, but is this backsliding? What is this? Like, there's no, they, I think there's now I feel a pressure also to like be a little guy in a hat, you know, and, um, <laughs> or I'm, or I'm disappointing them because it's, Aww. they, they see it as a, yay, we're moving this way, you know, versus like a pendulum. Absolutely. What's that? Just a little crunch. <laughs> What does it mean? Just absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> oh, I was, I'm breaking it down into three words. You said absolument. And I was like, ebbs, mm, salad, mm. mon, <laughs> bone, bone, happy teat or whatever people you say. That's exactly what people say. That's what cows say to each other. Yeah. Before they're going to have sex. Bone, happy teat. <laughs> oh, wow. We're going to take a quick break, but stick around. And we're back. Before we move on to the game show, do you feel like that allowing yourself to have maybe a more protective private life or like prioritizing your private life has sort of helped you with this? Like you mentioned, stepping away from social media. I think stepping away from social media, some of that is about private life stuff. Some of that is literally like, that's like the, the weird pressure that I was feeling to like nail every event happening globally with like the funniest joke all the time and like the most socially aware meme you know like that thing which isn't really about private life I think that thing is actually what was causing me a lot more pain like because I think the stuff that I've always shared about my life has I have a whole other thing going on like I'm it's never been this is the whole thing that's happening in my life but I think mining every experience in my own life and every world event for like the funniest take on it is not mentally healthy for me. Mm -mm. Um, it was like way too much pressure. And, and I, I feel like I see people that are successful at doing that. And I, mm -hmm. a couple of years ago, I just kind of went like, congratulations. <laughs> like, get it, you know like for yes. me I'm more successful at like I just want to be healthier than that behavior makes me mm -hmm. somebody else might not it might not feel like such a stressful burden to them but mm -hmm. um yeah social mm -hmm. media has been you know I really like left for multiple years and I don't really keep it installed on my phone anymore ever mm -hmm. and you know also that can have like negative career implications but like I was trying not to die so it was worth it to me mm -hmm. and 
also in terms of like keeping my private life private, I think another thing that I would say just about that is for a long time, I just only had friends who I did my job with. And that's just not true anymore because I I made a lot of different friends that are like outside of the stand-up world. And some of that is that like, I actually in an unstand-up influenced pandemic world have like gone to bed early and like eat well and I wake up Mm -hmm. and work out like a basic (laughs) person raised in the suburbs Mm -hmm. like I was. And so I think the like rock and roll lifestyle that I was trying to keep up with for a long time that also was really fucking fun and worked for me for a while, just like is no longer as interesting to me. And so that has shifted a lot also of like the types of ways I'm participating in the world. Like I'm less often telling something to Twitter that I instead now I'm telling to a real friend, <laughs> like an IRL yeah. friend that I actually yeah. know. And again, that other version works for some people, but it just didn't work for me. Or I think it could work for a time. And then yeah, that's right. figuring when when you're like, oh, this isn't working for me anymore. Yeah. And who knows if it'll come back or totally. as it flows, but like checking it enough with yourself to be like, this is this is more harm than good at this point. Totally. Am I prioritizing screaming into the void about Donald Trump over like having real friends who know me? And right. several years <laughs> ago the answer would have been yes. Yep. Yep. Well, this, I mean, honestly, this makes me feel a lot better because I, I too often I'm like, wow, how do all these people have these great takes on everything? Uh, I can't, I can't think of a single joke. I can't think of a single unique thing to say. And I look back and like a few years ago, I was tweeting jokes all day long. And now I'm like, I can't think of a single joke. Yeah. I mean, my, my like newest take is, yo, enjoy your life. Like that's, yeah. that's my actual <laughs> take is like, are you happy? Like that, like. If not, right. is there anything that could move that for you? Maybe right. not, but mm-hmm. is there, is there? And for me, I'm, that's what I'm working toward. Right. I love that. <laughs> yeah. Would you like to play a strange game show? Yes, desperately. <laughs> <laughs> I hope this brings you happiness. <laughs> hypotheticals is a game show where you and Gabby are my contestants. I give you a series of hypothetical situations. You can ask any clarifying questions you might have. And then you tell me what you would do in that situation. And then I pick my favorite answer. I love this. Sometimes I don't even pick an answer. It's right. There's no way to win. It's just, it's a thought, (laughs) it's a thought experiment. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. So our first game is America's favorite game show. Would you stay with this cheater? (laughs) Your partner of three years really wants to buy you an expensive engagement ring, but they can't afford it. So they sign up to be part of a scientific study that looks at brain patterns during sex. They end up having to have sex with another volunteer in front of a bunch of scientists with wires hooked up to their brain. It is humiliating, but they get paid 50K and buy you a beautiful ring. Would you stay with this cheater? What? (laughs) I love this. I love this question. Well, first of all, I don't really want an expensive ring at all. I would rather they just give me like a ring pop. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. I because you're hungry. Don't because I'm starving. <laughs> Low blood sugar. Yeah, I don't want an expensive ring anyway. So I would be like, do you know me at all? Like, are are we compatible in any way? Because, like, it would be like to me. I always say like, if somebody proposed to me on a jumbotron or like in public, I'd have to say no because I'd be like, you don't know me. <laughs> what about a private so, jumbotron? 
Ooh. If we're the only ones in the like Staples Center and there, or what is it? The crypto.com arena, whatever that's, it's called that's now. That's what it's called, yes. <laughs> I can't. I would just be like, I guess, but like you didn't really have to spend the money to do this privately. Like I don't get it. But what if they re- always wanted a really elaborate engagement and that's something they want? Isn't that valid? No. Because I'm getting, here's the thing. It's to the person who's getting proposed to. So like if Mal really mm. wanted a big thing, then I could, I'll do it. But but we've decided that Mal is the one who will propose mostly because I have bipolar disorder and we cannot always trust my decisions. So Mal is doing it, but I, that is towards me. So they have to then do it the way that mm-hmm. I would like. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's fair. Why? Because what if somebody has always dreamed of proposing on the crypto.com jumbotron? (laughs) Or they've always dreamed of having of like they're a type of person who like shows their love with gifts and like has always fantasized about having a great story to tell people and loves to surprise you. Why do they have to completely conform to what you want if it's not what they want? Something to think about. (laughs) What are we doing with the rest of the money? What rest of the money? The ring itself is not 50K. Absolutely it is. In this story, it is. What are you talking about? Actually, in this story, the ring is 10K and the other 40K goes to buying a small horse. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like I don't. I'm not up on the small horse market, so I don't even know if we've gotten a good one. I'd love to to say that my my response to this. And first of all, I I think Gabby's input was like, I was initially going there. Like that's initially where I went. So I think that's right on the money. But I think actually my further considered answer is there was a time in my very early 20s when I was a cheater. It's uh, it's uh, in my books, Save Yourself. <laughs> um, but <laughs> Available now. I will say that I have never felt worse about myself. It is the worst I've ever felt about who I am. I hated myself. And this person has bad decision-making skills because (laughs) not it's that they would put themselves in that situation. It's not even like that they would do that to me, the person being cheated on. It's like, you did what? Like you put yourself, cause I mean, cause there's a world where that's not framed as cheating. That's just like working. Like that's another way. Mm -hmm. But but since you framed it as cheating, that makes me think they framed it as cheating, which makes me think Mm -hmm. that they were going against their own wishes for what? And so anyway, yeah. I just think, no way, buddy. <laughs> also, a miniature horse costs on average between $800 and $5,000, unless we want to get a show miniature horse, which can go for as much as $200,000. Okay, so somewhere in the middle. <laughs> then a website called horseyhooves.com says, though their appearance may be small, that doesn't necessarily mean they are cheap to own. Which is the, what people say about me. <laughs> <laughs> that that scale means that we got a shitty good horse. You know what I mean? The, the really shitty ones are much yeah. cheaper. So it's one of the yeah. best ones. It's one of the worst of the best. Correct. It's, you yeah. cannot get a worse great horse. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, okay. I think it's okay to leave them because they actually fell in love with the other volunteer. Oh. Wow. The wires showed that, which is okay. revolutionary. Oh, fine. <laughs> okay. Our next game. Are you a terrible parent? Your child, 18, has always wanted to be in the same sorority as their grandmother, 
because the two have such a close relationship. Their grandmother finds out through the alumni network that your daughter is about to be cut and won't get into the sorority. (gasps) To prevent your child from dealing with this rejection, you leave an anonymous tip with the university that the sorority in question has been hazing its recruits. And the entire sorority gets shut down before your daughter is rejected. Are you a terrible parent? <laughs> yes. And I'll tell you why. I was sort of raised <laughs> like this. Not my par- I love my parents, but they did do this thing where they sort of prevented us from having really bad consequences. Like, for instance, mm. I was late to high school so many times. I had a, I went to a high school where, you know, super, it was like a college prep school. You'd take a test to get in, very, like, academics-driven. And I did really well academically, except I constantly almost failed conduct, <laughs> which is what happens if you get too many detentions. Every time you got a detention, you got three points off your conduct grade and then an extra point off. If it was a bit of an and one situation, you had an extra point off if you didn't serve the detention. So when I was a senior, especially, I was late so many times that I almost didn't graduate. And I was like, I mean, I was like golden in terms of academics, also like doing every possible activity, but like nearly failing out of school because I could not get there on time or wear the right uniform without like constantly breaking the uniform code. Oh my God. I would break the uniform code all the time. Or like I would like leave school to go get shamrock shakes for my entire English class. (laughs) My behavior was bad. I was doing bad. No, mine too. I was like a great student. And then like, I remember one time I was working a job, I was working as a reporter for like an intern reporter for the newspaper. And I was in like a history class and the, my phone rang and it was a source. And I looked at my teacher and went, I have to take this. Oh my God. <laughs> like who the and there's fuck a book are based you? On this Bury the Lead by Gabby Dunn. I exactly. have it right over here. <laughs> yeah, it was a really, I was, and a constantly, we had uniforms and I would wear moccasins and then they would say, you can't wear those. And I'd be like, show me where it says I can't wear. Like I was a piece of crap. I mean, so I don't know how your parents responded to that behavior, but how my parents responded is like, because I wasn't really a problem in any other areas. Also, like I was like, not sleeping with my boyfriend, very not sleeping with my boyfriend, which they really gave a big thumbs up. (laughs) They would call and like talk to the deans and get me out of really bad consequences. And this Mm -hmm. is why today I'm insufferable. Yeah. (laughs) It's all from this. It's this is, you know. So we're bad parents. I think that's a bad parent to call and and shut down Mm -hmm. the sorority. Yeah. Because what are you trying to create a Cameron Esposito? I hope not. (laughs) <laughs> to be fair, like Greek life is complicated. I have no context. I literally I don't even really know. either. I don't really either. Other than I know my dad got in trouble all the time for stuff he and his frat were doing and not in the way that you would think. Like they filled an auditorium with sand to have a beach party. And then right. they felt like maybe there would be no consequences. for that. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> like unclear. That's absolutely the kind of prank. The sort of 70s, uh, 70s hijinks that one might do at a fraternity. But yeah, so I don't know anything about Greek life. But I also like my parents would get me out of stuff, but only in the sense that they didn't care. So like the school would be like, we're going to call your parents. And then I'd be like, go for it. And then they'd call my parents and my parents would be like, "Okay," (laughs) like they'd be like, (laughs) your daughter 
has worn the wrong uniform for five days straight. And they expect my parents to be like, oh, we'll handle that at home. And my mom would literally be like, okay, why are you calling me? Like, I know, didn't, we're like, she's at school. Like, take care of it there. What do you expect me to do? So I feel like, I feel like we are both insufferable for that reason. And we are bad parents. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. All right. I agree with you, but also the reason they weren't going to let the daughter in is because she exclusively wore graphic tees of Dumbledore and and people didn't like it. <laughs> Complicated. In today's climate, that actually does indicate a lack of judgment. <laughs> That's true. He <laughs> is gay, but she is transphobic. And it's like, oh, man. Yeah, you can't wear Dumbledore. No, I got rid of my Slytherin stuff. Even I was like even in the villain, the villain house and I still couldn't. <laughs> I think it. I think we can have it in our homes if if it was purchased at a certain era, perhaps. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But if mm -hmm. you are wearing it out in the world in a 2022 situation, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. that's fair. And I don't even know if that's true. Like maybe we're supposed to be throwing all of our Harry Potter books in the trash. Let me know. Listeners. Yeah, let yeah. us know because we really have no idea. I love that it was like, <laughs> it was first like, we're going to get rid of it because we're Christian and there's, you know, we're Christian, we're against witchcraft. Now gay people are like, we're throwing it away because of transphobia. Absolutely. It's really been a lot of, well, what a, so wild. quite a roller coaster. There should be like a queer town dump. You know what I mean? It's like just for stuff. <laughs> Where that, you know anytime I mean? something happens that like we all go, I mean, look, I'm a Disney gay. And it has been a rough time for the Disney That's gays. exactly right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <gasps> a hard time for us over here at Disney Gay Headquarters. Absolutely. It's like, <laughs> like it's like laptop batteries. Like there needs to be a process for how to recycle your J.K. Rowling books. Like, well, they're huge. I just can throw in the trash can. It's going to ruin the dump. You gotta, I got yeah. the process here. That's true. It's just a bunch of rainbow colored Mickey ears thrown <laughs> into the dust. Did gay day mean nothing to you? Absolutely. Did pride at Disney mean nothing to you? <laughs> okay, our final game. <laughs> Would you stay with this liar? Oh. Okay. One of your best friends in the world is an avid reader. And you often spend a lot of your time together discussing novels. One night, your friend gets drunk and confesses they haven't read a book since college. <gasps> they just go online, read book summaries and comment threads, and make up their opinions to seem smart and interesting. Would you stay friends with this liar? How long have we been doing this? Seven years. Do I have another friend that I talk about books with or just this friend? No, this was your main book friend. I mean, it's kind of nice that they're putting in all this effort for me. I'm obsessed <laughs> with this person. I become closer <laughs> friends with them. <laughs> because like, that is so, the effort to not be caught and then the guts to come out. Why'd they come out? They were wasted. And they've actually never been drunk in front of you before because they know when they're drunk, they're blabbermouth. Allison, can I ask you a follow-up question? Of course. Do you write these? Oh yeah. They're so good. <laughs> Thank you so much. It's so hard. Allison writes these every week. They're so good. It's really hard because a lot of, I have such a terrible memory that I don't know if I've made it up before. 
So like to think about if I'm just plagiarizing myself is I think the hardest part of the whole thing. I wish that there was just a game show on television that was hypotheticals. This and it was is so just good. Allison doing this oh, to thank people. You. I yeah. keep wanting it to somehow be something bigger, but it has yet to. <laughs> it feels like it's like when you're in Reddit, when you're on Am I the Asshole? Yeah. And you go wow, we really needed a whole community. We needed a worldwide community to come up with this number of stories. Certainly this couldn't have come from one, just one person's <laughs> mind. Each of these stories are so elaborate and terrible. Right. But then today's the day we found out it's just Allison behind all of it. <laughs> yeah, I there know. Is, there's no, Reddit is run by eight individuals. Allison's one of them. It's just me. And Allison is writing every single Am I the Asshole post. Every single one. <laughs> so much happening with fathers and daughters on there. There's so yeah. much, you know? But it's mm -hmm. all you? God. Yeah, actually, that's my that's my one hobby. Your cash cow? <laughs> <laughs> one hobby. I believe it. I would fully believe it. <laughs> wow. I would stay, whatever. That that shows me they love me and care about me. That's so nice. They've been doing that for me for seven years. Would you keep talking about books with them? Like, would you keep making them keep up this facade? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't have any other friends to do it with. You're my one friend. Guess you've committed to this lie in your life. I think what I would do is not unlike something that like somebody like Christian Gray might pull in this situation mm. um, where to continue our relationship, I would draft an elaborate contract that states that they have to do that much research or read any book that we discuss. Mm. It has to be either or read the book or continue to do that. Or level continue of research. to do that much research. Wow. I just don't want this load lifted. No. <laughs> That's not. Oh, wow. I love you. You're my closest friend, but I'm not going to talking the work. about books with you. Wow. <laughs> somehow that this seems to be a big part of our relationship. Wow. <laughs> oh, my God. Thank you so much for joining us. Where can people find out about all the wonderful things that you do? Well, you two cuties, first of all, it's a pleasure to internet see you both and discuss things. Second of all, <laughs> you know, I am on social media. At Cameron Esposito, <laughs> currently, I'm experimenting with TikTok, which is very fun. Woo! But my, my book, Save Yourself, is out uh, anywhere that are better books are sold. But I like to suggest to people to buy it at their local indie bookstore because that yes. is a nice place to continue to exist. And that's it. Oh, I also have a podcast called Query. This is already a podcast. So yes. you might say it's easy to just zoom over to another podcast from a podcast. Yes. Go to Query. Listen to my episode of Query. Pop Gabby right in your ears. Yeah. I think it's probably dated, but see what I was like then. <laughs> yeah, we're all on a, you know, yeah. we're all on a heavily time-stamped journey. Right. <laughs> Truly. <laughs> well, thank you so much. Stick around after the break. We'll be talking all about comfort food. Mmm, yummy. <laughs> Just between us, it's time for topics. X, 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 baby. Baby. I'm eating a comfort food right now. What is it? It's these mini muffins. Ooh, 
I used to eat them as a kid. That was going to be my question. (laughs) Absolutely. So here's the thing. Okay, let me bring you to something. I found a Reddit called Same Foods. And what it is, it's people that eat the same foods every day. Mm. And I might be one of those people. Also, similarly, I found a thing where it was like this person saying, I figured out eating. And it is you don't have three meals a day. You just eat a little bit when you feel hungry. And throughout the day, you just eat snacks and you don't need to have meals and you don't judge yourself. So if you're like, oh, I should really have like a lunch, but you're like, I want an apple and peanut butter and three gummy bears. Let yourself have it, man. Mm -hmm. Like just like eat snacks, you know, graze during the day when you feel hungry. And that I think is maybe the key for me. And then this person was like, also, I eat like a child. And that is what I do. I wake up, I have my coffee, I eat like a muffin that I would have as a child. I eat cheese sticks, I eat like fruit, I eat the same microwave macaroni and cheese. Like I have the palate of a child. I have that too. And I just have to, yeah, I just have to be like, this is me. Mm Mm-hmm. I struggle with food so much, as I've talked about, and also especially being really sick lately with the acid reflux, like, it's really limiting what I what I can eat. Mm-hmm. And it's also interesting of, like, how certain foods just, like, bring you back to, like, feeling taken care of as a child, bring you back to, Absolutely. like, different times in your life, and, like, matzo ball soup, matzo so ball comforting. Soup. <laughs> mm-hmm. I was about to say, as Jews... There's a lot of those. A lot of Jewish foods is very comforting to me. Latkes. Latkes. Incredibly comforting. Totally. What is kugel? Is that what it's called? Kugel. Noodle kugel. Oh, my God. If you guys have never had kugel, <laughs> you got to get it. <laughs> when I was in college, I lived with two friends of mine who were both not Jewish. And I made kugel one night because <gasps> I was like, let me let me show you. They were like, this is life changing. Mm-hmm. And so then I would have to make kugel like as a special treat, you know, all the time, the way that someone might make like a birthday cake. They were like, you're making like a noodle cake. And I was like, yes, yes, I am. Yeah, it's like noodles with like apricot and like, oh, it's oh. so good. Yeah. Yeah. Cream cheese or something. There's like cheese. And I think that like a lot of us, myself included, you know, we and this is a big thing I'm working on is like there's so much negative connotations around food. And instead, I'm like searching for like the positive connotations. And like mm-hmm. during this recovery, I've just like been really into vitamin water. <laughs> and I think that like at first, sure. a big part of it was like it was just easier to take my pills with something that wasn't just water. Like it made it go down a right, little easier. Yeah. And then I realized that just like having vitamin water is just like makes me feel nice. And it's like a little treat for me throughout the day as I go through these, you know, like some not so fun time. (laughs) Right. Right. I don't know if you're supposed to grow up and have a different palate or whatever. But like I used to come home from fifth grade, play my video games on my Nintendo and eat these friggin muffins (laughs) and I'm still there mentally (laughs) I'm playing Pokemon Snap that I've rented from the blockbuster video baby I have not moved on (laughs) but like why do we have to you know and 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 I think that like it can be a really cool exercise to think back on your 
on your childhood, on growing up, on different times in your life and think, oh, what food do I have good memories with? Like what food makes me feel cared for? Because maybe my mom used to give it to me or my grandpa Mm -hmm. or someone in my family or you would Mm -hmm. only ever have it at this special holiday and like allowing yourself to go get it whenever you want. (laughs) Pepe, my grandfather used to put Snickers bars in the freezer. Oh, yes. And then hand them out. And like little, not like full ones, like little bite-sized Snickers bars. And then if he like saw you, he'd like toss you a cold Snickers thing. And I like as a treat. And I'm like always like, if if you get a Snickers bar, I'm like, you put it in the freezer. And people are like, what? And I'm like, you got to put it in the freezer. (laughs) That's the, that's the ticket. (laughs) We would have Malamars, which is like a cookie that's only available some of the year. And we would put it in the fridge and it was like such a delight. (laughs) Like s'mores, s'mores are huge for me because we would go camping all the time. Mm. So s'mores, like hot marshmallow is like big. I love it. Hot apple cider. Is like very New York fall, like going apple picking, Mm -hmm. you know, and like out in LA, Mm -hmm. like you don't really see like hot apple cider that much, but like to indulge in it is like so lovely. (laughs) Yeah, they don't have it here because I don't think people are thinking to get it unless it's like Christmas. Right. Yeah. But just like, right. Is that a thing people eat on Christmas is apple cider? It's like more of a fall drink. Oh, okay. Me and you, just like two Jews being like, what do people do on Christmas? Couldn't tell you. No clue. (laughs) Couldn't tell you. (laughs) Gifts, I guess. But if you're like feeling down or yucky or not excited about stuff, like I think thinking about a comfort food that maybe you don't have as much anymore that you haven't had in a while could be like a really fun pick me up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Funfetti. Ooh, yeah. Just go to the grocery store and make a funfetti cake. (laughs) Carvel ice cream cakes. <laughs> Huge in my family. <gasps> the whale. Mm-hmm. The whale. Remember the cake was like a whale? Remember, oh, we ha- we still get Carvel cakes all the time. <laughs> okay, there's this candy store by me in North Hollywood that has all these old candies. Like, it has new candies, but it also has old candies from when, like, you were a kid. And they, they still order them and stuff. And like my uncle is obsessed with Nico wafers, which are like, you know, old and they don't really sell them that much. And uh, he was sick and his nephew sent a box of Nico wafers. Oh. And it's just something he's liked since the 60s, you know? Right. What do we rate this episode? I rate it 11 out of 10. Be kind to yourself. Mm. And I will rate it 47 out of 32 new memories. Wow. That's a lot of new memories. Yeah, it's a lot. Melissa, we, we miss you. You weren't able to be here with us today, but we hope we, hope we made you proud. Yeah. <laughs> Melissa, if you listen to this episode, text us a code word. Text us banana if you actually listen. They listen because they edit it. Well, we'll see, we'll won't see. we? Thank you to Cameron Esposito for being our guest. Just Between Us is a Forever Dog production hosted by me, Allison Raskin. And me, Gabby Dunn. Produced by Melissa D. Montz. Edited by Coco Lorenz. Executive produced by Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, Alex Ramsey, and Tracy Soren. Brendan Burns composed our killer theme music. To listen to this podcast ad-free, sign up for Forever Dog Plus at foreverdogpodcast.com slash plus. And check out video clips of our podcast on YouTube at youtube.com slash foreverdogteam or youtube.com slash just between us show. 
Make sure to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Forever Dog Team to keep up with all the latest Forever Dog news. Also, at Allison Raskin, at Emotional Support Lady, at Gabby Road, at BWM Pod, at She Is Not Melissa, at JBU Podcast. All of them. Wow, that's like 800 new follows. Good job. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Forever. Yeah.